So the big idea in this passage is basically honoring God is giving God and men their due. And when we speak about their due, we are speaking about like what is owed or what is deserved unto them. So understanding the historical and the political context of this passage is actually quite important with understanding the phrase that Jesus states when he says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. So just a little background on things that I said before and some things new. So the Gospel of Mark, the author is Mark. And he's writing to predominantly a Gentile church. And this church is under persecution by the Caesar Nero. Now a bit about Nero. Nero was a wicked emperor and he was known throughout um, history to be one of the persons who persecuted the early church. He became emperor at the age of 17 and he is known for even killing popular persons in the faith, or fathers in the faith, such as St. Peter and St. Paul. So we can clearly see that Nero, he was a tyrant. He was against Christianity. Yet, Mark writes this letter to the Gentile church and he includes this, this event in which Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar. So from the beginning of Mark, we see that there are a group of people that are against Jesus. So in Mark chapter 2, we see that they question Jesus' disciples on, like, why did his disciples break bread on the Sabbath? They asked Jesus, why did you eat with sinners? And they also asked him, why did his disciples not fast? In Mark chapter 3, we see that they come up with a plot basically to destroy Jesus. Now, what is interesting there is that the persons who sought to destroy Jesus were, yes, the Pharisees, but there was also another group called the Herodians. And we see this same group in Mark chapter 12, verse 13. They decided to send spies unto Jesus, and these spies were sent from both the Pharisees and the Herodians. Now, what is interesting to see here within this passage is that the two groups, the Pharisees and the Herodians, they're actually from two vastly different worldviews. Like, literally, they should have been enemies with one another, right? The Pharisees, we know, they were persons who, with their mouth, they praised God, but their hearts were far from God. They esteemed the traditions of men above the law of God. But what else interesting to know is that they weren't for the lordship or the rule, the rule of Caesar over them. Now, on the other hand, the Herodians, like, they cared nothing about God. They were for the rule of Herod, and they sought to please men over God. So, the question that they posed to Jesus, shall we give to the ruler, or should we not give to him, in this particular context, in front of this particular point of people who consisted of the Jews who were for the rulers, 
Caesar and the Jews who were against the rule of Caesar, it seems like a hard and a difficult question. They were seeking to put Jesus in a difficult position. So if Jesus responded and said that the Jews should give to Caesar alone, the Pharisees would have said, well, hey, like he is for the oppression of the Jewish people. However, if Jesus said, well, hey, um, you shouldn't give to Caesar, they would, have, they would have brought him in front of the Caesar and they would say, well, hey, this man seeks to rebel against you. Now, despite their opposing views, like they came together to destroy Jesus. The reality is, the, the rule or the lordship of Jesus, this man preaching that he is the savior of the world, in comparison to a government that seeks to oppress you, the reality is coming together for this um, to destroy Jesus shouldn't have been like their first priority, right? So we see that they are irrational and they're coming together. And that is how naturally man is. Men are irrational. They prefer to turn from Jesus and run to their sin because God's word opposes their sin and he calls us to be righteous. However, men love darkness. They prefer the darkness rather than the light. They suppress truth in unrighteousness. They are bent towards their sin and their destruction. And they prefer anybody but Christ. So some people may say, well, I, I don't hate Christ. I just don't want anything to do with God. I just want to stay in my corner and let God stay in his. As mentioned in past sermons, God's law is an extension of his nature, who he is. God is good, perfectly moral, and perfectly upright. Our hate towards his law inevitably is a hate towards God. Our love for sin leads us to suppress the truth and to remain in unbelief, even if it means joining with those who seek to do us harm or in the Jews' case to oppress us. So we naturally, we prefer anybody but God. There's a quote by C.S. Lewis that says that hell is a place that is locked from the inside. And, and this isn't necessarily a theological point about hell, but it speaks towards the sinfulness or the depravity of men. Men prefer an eternity in hell rather than to be with Christ for an eternity. And this is common for all persons. Those who have been regenerated, those who are Christians, we were once like this. We preferred the pleasures of sin over delighting in God's law. And for the non-believers, this is why you run from Christ because you love your sin. You love the pleasures of sin more than you love God. And you have no love for God. So the Herodians and the Pharisees' rejection is seen in their ploy to trap Jesus. So they sought to flatter Jesus. They call him things like good teacher. Um, you see in verse 14 they say, teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. 
Yet in verse 15, Jesus clearly sees their hypocrisy. Yet, we can see their hypocrisy. Mark paints the picture that these men had nothing good to say about Jesus. Right? But at this moment, now that spies come, they seek to flatter Jesus. So what we can learn from this action is that Christians, the world seeks your destruction. The world hates Christ and they hate you. Because you seek to follow Christ and point persons towards him. Some unbelievers aim is to destroy you at the greatest physical extent. But this means like persecution or death, right? However, at a lesser extent, the world hates you because you speak about Christ, you seek to be obedient to his word, and you have a biblical worldview. So they wish that you would stop being a Christian, that you would turn from Christ, which is not your destruction physically, but this, is, this would lead to the destruction of your souls. So the question clearly was not to be answered by Jesus, but to destroy him in whatever answer or whatever response he gives. Yet, we see the wisdom and God's leading in the answer given. So the first part, it says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. We ought to give those in authority their due. This command definitely becomes harder when we have wicked rulers or when we have tyrants or terrible kings or terrible persons in authority over us. Yet, if we hear the words of Jesus and we think upon the context, we see that laws and, and commands, that there are some laws and commands that won't be in our best interest, they'll be quite unfavorable or unfair, and they're not, they're not necessarily sin against God to do them. Yet, God expects us to be obedient unto those who are in authority over us. So remember the context of the Jews who were paying, uh, who were paying taxes unto Caesar. They were oppressed by him, yet Jesus told them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Romans chapter 13 states, let every person be subject to those in governing authorities. And those in authorities that exist have been instituted by God. All persons, all persons in authority have been ordained by God and it is for God's good purposes and his good pleasure. So clearly we see from scripture, we know of good kings. We know of, there were times when there were persons in authority that ruled well. But then we also know of persons who were tyrants. Many times when Israel was obedient unto God, they had good kings. And when they, were, when they went towards their idolatry or when they sinned, that they had tyrants who ruled over them. Yet, even under the rule of tyrants, whether it be Babylon, as Israel was, Herod, as Jesus was, or seasoned Nero, as the believers were that Mark wrote to, God expects us to be obedient to those in authority. Once, it is not in opposition to God's law. The breaking of the civil law by Christians, which 
the breaking of the civil law by Christians wastes time and energies that can be geared towards the proclamation of the gospel or just basic things that will glorify God. And these things then tarnish the name of Christ. Before seeking to respond, a believer should think, is this a hill to really die on? Or could I find some other possible way to live peaceably with men who are in authority over me? Those who are seeking to give you advice, do these persons want the glory of God to come from the situation? Or are they seeking to flatter you that so they may see your destruction, just as the Pharisees and the Herodians sought to do to Jesus? As, as Pastor John said in his sermon last week, I am not speaking towards every situation. There are situations that will be different. There are some situations where you have to, to do what the Bible says and oppose what those in authority are saying to you because it's sick. And then there are some in situations that are unfavorable unto you in which you God expects you to be obedient unto. I won't sit down here, I won't stand up here and outline all, all the situations. But in every situation, we are to be led by God. And being led, one of the ways that we are led by God is being in, his, in the Word of God and seeing what He says. How should we respond? How should we act? So you see, Jews thought Jesus wouldn't be able to answer the question. Jesus' answer was not an answer to prove that he could, but one that he told men honestly what they ought to do. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. There was not a divide here between the church and the state, or the physical and the spiritual. Even in the midst of hardship, God expects that you respect those in authority and still glorify him. Respecting those in authority is actually an aspect of giving unto God the glory he deserves since obeying those in authority is a command from God and our obedience brings God, God glory. Jesus' response to rebuke the Pharisees, letting them know that there's not a divide between the spiritual and the physical but that they had earthly responsibilities. Render to Caesar. His response also was a rebuke unto the Herodians who felt obligated that they had obligations towards men, but none unto God. Render to Caesar and render to God. Therefore, for us who exist in the 21st century, we have an obligation to those who are in authority and to God. Our obligation to those in authority might look like us paying taxes and not withholding money that is good, whether or not we get a budget. It might look like us respecting those in authority and not speaking negatively against them, but praying for our leaders and being good law-abiding citizens. On the flip side, we see in our jobs that there, we have supervisors. There are persons who are in authority over us. And they might not necessarily be 
good supervisors or even persons that are moral. In fact, they might tell you to work to four o'clock and every day they leave at 12 o'clock. At, at the end of the day, we are expected to give unto God and give unto those who are in authority. So Jesus' statement Jesus' statement let the people know that the king who is ordained by God is there temporarily. But the king of kings who reigns forever, he reigns eternally. See, on the denarius, which was a coin, the emperor portrayed himself as a, a semi-god. Right? So he claimed that his father was Augustus and his mother was the goddess Livia. The separation between Caesar's temporal reign and Christ's eternal reign was clearly seen in Jesus' statement. Render to Caesar, but then render to God. Those in authority being affected by the fall, being sinners, will at times seek to overreach in areas that the scripture doesn't command. The emperor believing himself God, believing that he should get glory, is clearly an overreach. We see clearly that tyrants in the Bible are slaves to sin. They are sinners, they are bent toward, they are inclined towards their sinful nature and they want nothing to do with God. Yet, we see also in the Bible that they were good kings. Kings who were, for lack of better words, believers. Yet, the Bible clearly ensures that it paints each, it shows us that each king, even though they were good, that they sinned. And they didn't rule perfectly. They broke God's commands. On the other hand, those who oppose those in authority do so because they are sinners. Again, opposing God's law can look like breaking the civil law, which in most times is breaking the moral law of God, or just being a bad citizen. So we see a switch, we see an overlap of the civil law and the moral law in laws like do not steal. No nation glorifies a person who steals. The moral law, the Ten Commandments says, thou shalt not steal. Do not commit adultery. In most countries, um, they, don't, they don't praise persons who commit adultery. And the word of God says you shouldn't commit adultery. And even lastly, honor your mother and your father. Therefore, whether in authority or living under those in authority, we are all guilty of sin and rightly deserving of death for breaking the king of kings commands, as we clearly see. We have all broken the commandments of God. Those in authority have also broken the commandments of God. Yet the good news is that the king of kings left heaven and became a servant, being perfectly obedient unto the law of God. This king died a death fit for sinners, yet rose from the grave. Jesus' death on the cross atones for any sinner, whether it be a politician or layman, whether it be a king or a mere foot soldier. Any person who places faith in Christ will be saved from sin and death.
The hope that I believe Mark laid out for those Christians who live under the rule of Caesar Nero was this. Give to Caesar his temporal things. Caesar is, Caesar is not God. His reign is temporary. On the other hand, God is eternal. Whatever you do for God has eternal consequences. One day, we will live under the one who reigns and whose authority is perfectly good and perfectly moral. And this goes for us believers living in the 21st century. The grace of God enables us to preserve under the rule of wicked men. Whether that means opposing those in authority who call us to sin, or being uncomfortable under those who are in authority who seek to be unfair or unjust. One day we will all live and one day we will all live under the reign of King Jesus who is good and just.